Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. Whether you are live at our campus in Charlotte or whether you're live stream, I'm Talbot Davis, the pastor here. And I'm always, always glad to be able to engage back with you when you have connected with us. And this is the second Sunday in the series. It's called What in the World? And it is a series that began last week. We, we asked, what in the world happened to marriage? And it's a series that begins in our homes and goes around the globe. And it's kind of going to end up where it began uh, later in August. Uh, we're going to be together with What in the World? Today's message is called As the World Turns. And yeah, if you're of a certain generation, you know that was a soap opera as the world turns. And, and interestingly, we're going to be looking at a, a story within Scripture that has some soap operatic, I just thought of that word, soap operatic elements to it. It's the story of Elijah in the, book, the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to locate 1 Kings chapter 19 and verses 9 through 18. And if you don't have your Bible with you, it's okay. They're, the words are going to be up on the screen uh, when, just when they need to be, like they always are at this place. And, and maybe your Bible looks like mine if you brought it with you. And more likely, it's loaded on your phone, as that's how so many people engage with their scriptures today. And uh, however you are able to engage with it, we just like to remind ourselves a couple of things that we believe about the Bible at Good Shepherd. And one of those things that we believe is that this is not the good book. It's the great library. Bible's not a book. It is a library. A lot of authors written in a lot of styles over a long span of time. And when we are in the book of 1 Kings, we're in the section of the library uh, that's devoted to history. It's like the history section. The stories, the incident we'll be looking at is from about 750 B.C., so about 2,700 years ago, hundreds of years before Jesus appeared on the earth. And I'll give you more of the story behind the story when, when we get into the story itself. And that's just a fact. Not good book is great library. Second thing that we believe at this place is that realm of treasured conviction that we have. And, and it's this, and you may not believe it yet. We just like to be clear about what leadership here believes. We believe there's no other library like it on earth that God breathed his life into its words, the whole library, put his truth onto its pages, the whole library, the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And out of that conviction, we have a custom. Some of you already beat me to it. When we talk about the Bible in this place, we lift it up. And, and if you're, you're new here, you hadn't seen this before, you're like, this is just a little strange. And you know what we say? We admit it. This is strange. This is unusual. But we've discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. We're a collection of people. We don't have life figured out, but we know who does. And because we know he does, we're glad to surrender to his authority as revealed in his word. Amen? Amen. And so before I say anything else, let's pray. So Father, thank you that you're a, you are a good God and thank you that you have inspired your word. And I pray the same Holy Spirit who inspired the author of 1 Kings would continue to pour himself out on me and all within the sound of my voice so that all of us would collectively know how, how good it is to be in touch with you and how deeply you can bring joy into our midst. In the strong, saving name of Jesus, I am delighted to declare I am powerless without him. 
In his name, amen. Well, as you know by now, the, the series is called What in the World? And, and it's a series in which we're going to be asking a, a whole lot of questions. What in the world is going on with this element in the world? And, and, and not to start off on kind of a bummer note, but whether you're a Christian or not, or whether you follow Jesus or not, or whether you've been to this church before or not, there have likely been more than a few times in your life when things have happened and you've felt like you could do nothing more, little more than throw your hands up in the air and ask, what are you doing, Lord? Like it goes from kind of the, almost the silly, like when you're 60 and you wake up in the morning and a pimple has gone bump in the night, just like when you were 16. It's like, what in the world are you doing? This is supposed to be over this in high school. What are you doing, Lord? And it goes from the silly to the deeply serious. Like the fact that between January and July of 2023, this church has hosted more funerals and memorial services than ever before in its history. And those funerals and memorial services have ranged from the merely painful to the deeply excruciating. And every time, it's like, what in the world are you doing, Lord? Or when you find out someone else has been diagnosed with cancer, what in the world are you doing, Lord? Or when you can't get out of bed in the morning because the depression is so heavy, even though your life is going great and you have friends who can't comprehend your depression and they're like, things are going so well for you, why are you depressed? And you know, but they don't. You know it has nothing to do with your circumstances and so much to do with your chemistry. And you're like, what in the world, Lord? Or when the two of you, prayed and prayed and prayed and tried and tried and tried and there is still no baby to put in that cradle what in the world are you doing lord or you send your young adult off to college and they they come home so changed that they tell you that because of the way you vote they no longer respect you but could you still pay their tuition next semester? <laughs> what in the world are you doing, Lord? And, and as, as painful as all that can be, as personal as so much of it is, as typical as it is for me to teach on topics like that, I want to take that same question, what are you doing, Lord? But I want to go in a slightly different direction. I, I, we, we might end up back kind of where we're starting. But I, in this case, I want to take that question, what are you doing? What in the world, Lord, are you doing? I, I want to take it from the, the micro, what's going on in your life and what's going on in my life, more to the macro, where, where we actually ask, well, what's going on with the faith, the the church, like not only in this land, but what's going, uh, what, are, what, what in the world are you doing with the faith of Jesus Christ around the world, Lord? Because I don't know, you, you may sense this, you, you may know the statistics, or you may not feel it. You may not know the statistics. 
but it's so interesting and so troubling. Like even the, the Methodist movement of, of which we are a, a historically a, a part, in 1968, it's like a long time ago, 1968, there were 12 million Methodists in the U.S., in 2023, there's six million. This is, this is the raw, you, you have that rate of growth in your business, you'll lose your job. Or the stat that I shared with you, a, a lot of you last week, if you weren't here, I'm so glad you're here today, but last week I shared with the people of the church that in the year 2000, the number, the percentage of people who live in the U.S. who have a house of worship to which they belong, not that they ever go, but you know, I, I got that, that's my church. I'm, I'm there like twice a year, but it's my, it's my church. That was 70% of US citizens back in the year 2000. In 2022, just a generation later, 70% had declined to 47%. Stunning, staggering decline in only a generation. And it is enough to make you wonder, what in the world, or, or even you, you, you take it out of the realm of church and, and into the realm of Jesus. And, and you know this, don't you? Then, then in a lot of ways in, in our culture, Jesus is celebrated. More ways he's tolerated. Though you do know if you're in a social setting and, and you, you don't talk about your church, but you do mention the name Jesus, everybody... <gasps> Did, did he just say what I thought he said? And, but then when Jesus, so he's celebrated in some corners, he's tolerated in others. And then when people actually hear the words that he said and how they speak into the nooks and crannies of people's lives, it's hate speech. And you felt it. I felt it. And you throw your hands up. What in the world are you doing? doing, Lord? Does, in a world full of, it seems like Bible scoffers, I go to this strange church where we're Bible lifters. What in the world are you doing, Lord? And again, these, these sort of larger issues and larger forces with the decline of faith and even the ridicule of faith, they do circle back to your home and to my home. You, 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 you send that young adult off to college and, and they, they, you, you did everything right as a parent. You, you raise your kids in church. You did the parent cue cards that our children's ministry gives you. You did that faithfully. You believed us in student ministry and in children's ministry when, you told, when we told you that parents are the primary influencers of their children's spirituality and you, you bought it and you, we were partners and all this. And then you sent that kid off to college and it only took one semester. And they came home, and they're way too smart to believe that stuff that you raised them to believe. And you saw that as sophistication replaced faith, you, you also saw that despair replaced joy. And for some of you, you didn't even have to wait to send them off to college. You sent them off to middle school. And in the surest sign that social contagion has become a new religion, they come home from middle school convinced they're in the wrong body. And it's you, and it's me, and it's so many of us. And if you are someone this morning and you do follow Jesus and you are a Bible lifter, it's very tempting to think there's no one left. 
No one else still believes as you do. You are absolutely alone. You are odd and you are unusual and you are strange. People are strange and you're one of them. And interestingly, if that's you, if you felt that macro level, micro level, the, the good news, the true news is that you're not the first, you won't be the last. But it's so interesting that as we get to 1 Kings chapter 19 in the Old Testament, again, events that I talked about happening 2,700 years ago or more, we find that Elijah, and I told you that there are elements of his story that are soap operatic. We're going to find that Elijah is in exactly that same place. There's nobody, nobody left, Lord. Now, here's the story behind the story before we get to the story. The year, like I mentioned, is about 750 BC. And the children of Israel, the chosen people, the Jews, they have divided into two. They've had a civil war and where there was one strong unified country, now there's two weaker nations, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And Elijah, he is a prophet to the north. He's a a, a prophet, a, a spokesman, to Israel in the north. And Israel at that time has been overrun by the worship of an idol, a false god named Baal, B-A-A-L. Let's say that, Baal. Say it like, that was practice. Let's say it like you believe it this time. Baal, yeah. Now, that's terrible. I got you to say the name of a false idol with real conviction and, and, and real, but you're gullible. So we, we did it all together. Baal, and, and Baal was a, a, a statue. He was a god of fertility for crops and for families. And so a lot, a lot of elements of Baal worship were very seductive to the Jewish people. And they fell for it, hook, line, and sinker, which is really ironic. Because as some of you may remember, the very heartbeat of what it meant to be Jewish what is in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. While you're at it, don't make for yourself any graven image or idol, don't worship them. And, and the people were like, well, eight out of 10, Lord, we'll, we'll give you eight out of 10. Let us disobey those first two commandments. And, and so Baal worship was everywhere. Well, Elijah, good Jew that he is, is offended at all the ways that people everywhere are worshiping the Lord and then to hedge their bets, they're also worshiping Baal. And so he, he announces a drought. He says a drought's coming and it happens. And in response, the leaders of, of, of Israel, they put a bounty on his head, a death threat, what they would call a fatwa, F-A-T-W-A, a fatwa, meaning if you see Elijah, kill him. Well, that's not good news for Elijah. So he survives the fatwa and he flees. And after a number of years fleeing, he comes back to Israel and he decides to stage a contest on a place called Mount Carmel, a contest between the idol Baal and the living God of Israel. And whichever God can light a dead bull on fire is the real God. And and as you may or may not know, Baal fails. And the Lord delivers, the bull lights on fire. It's this great victory that Elijah has won for the Lord, or the Lord has won through Elijah, depending on how you want to see it. And, and it's the kind of win that afterwards, man, Elijah should have been like a coach at the Super Bowl. And the whole team puts him on the shoulders and carries him off the field, celebrating how great his victory is. But that's not what happens. 
Instead, as a reward for winning this great victory for the Lord, <laughs> Elijah gets another death threat, another fatwa, another bounty put on his head. This one by a woman named Queen Jezebel. Now you know why no one names her little girl. Oh, what should we name our little girl? How about Jezebel? No one does that. And Jezebel's name actually means, where is Baal? You know, like, huh, I did not know that. That doesn't really make sense. And the reason it doesn't make sense is because you're not saying Jezebel with a deeply Southern accent. <laughs> if you say it right, like Jezebel, oh, that makes perfect sense. So, so Elijah has to flee again because Jezebel is hot on his he heels and she wants to kill him. And all I told you the story behind the story was good, didn't I? And that brings us to verse 9 of chapter 19, where we find Elijah. Look where we find Elijah. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And now you know why he went into a cave and spent the night, because Jezebel is trying to kill him. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? I love that question. Because you know the Lord knows the answer. It's, it's not like God ever said, whoa, I, I, I lost Elijah. I don't know where he is. I, no. He just wanted Elijah to give some consideration and some thought to his own dilemma. And look at Elijah's answer in verse 10. And as I read it, you, you circle all the destructive words and phrases. He, meaning Elijah, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected, there's a destructive, destructive word, they've rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I love this. Because you know what Elijah is doing? And, and, and the, the reason I love it is because Man, I, I felt this. I, there, there have been times, man, Lord, I've been so good. Do, do, Lord, do you know how good I am for you? And then maybe even with other clergy, other preachers, I've been like, Lord, there's all these Bible scoffers making their living out of working in church, and I'm a Bible lifter. What, what's the deal? Lord? Do, 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 uh, but I'm the only one left. And you know what Elijah's really doing? What we do, what I do, Whenever you exaggerate your virtue or whenever you exaggerate other people's danger, you are in a very vulnerable position. Elijah is so wrapped up in how good he is and how bad everybody else is that he's absolutely completely stagnated. He has made no progress in his life. That's why he's hovering and hiding in the cave because he's so wrapped up in his goodness and he's so obsessed with other people's badness that he can make no progress in his life at all. And so in, in response to that, I mean, Elijah has lost trust in in everyone and, and everything. In response to that, I, I love the Lord's answer in verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is, the, is about to pass by. And you're like, whoa, you're, you're referring to yourself in the third person a lot, Lord. Well, he's the Lord. He can do that. 
Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in a fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Some of you may have heard that as a still, small voice or the sound of sheer silence. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled the cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. So all these powerful manifestations, wind and earthquake and fire, and yet the Lord doesn't reveal himself in anything but this still small voice, the gentle whisper. And it's really, it's really God's way of saying, yeah, I can light a bull on fire on Mount Carmel, but I also can communicate in more subtle, less flammable ways too. And yet look how all that gets followed up. I love the question at the end of verse 13. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You're like, wait, isn't that how we all got started? Speaking of how I got started, look at Elijah's answer in verse 14. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And, and you're like, wait, didn't we just read that? Yes. And it, you may know this, you may not know this, but the actual, the process of writing in ancient times the labor involved, back-breaking labor. And, and the finance involved, bank-breaking expensive. So anytime a biblical author, because it took a lot of work and because it costs a lot of money, anytime a biblical author repeats something, they're saying, notice this, pay attention to this. And the fact that Elijah gives the exact same answer the second time to precisely the same question means, means he has made no progress at all, that he is still stuck. He is so stagnated, focusing on himself. He is so adept at throwing a daily pity party at which he is the guest of honor that he can't conceive of life any other way. He's lost trust in everyone and everything. And so he stays put in the most unhealthy of places. And some of you know what that's like. You decide you don't trust AA. And so you stay drunk. You decide you don't trust your therapist. And so you stay unhealthy, imbalanced. You decide you don't trust church, so you stay disconnected to Jesus. And the fact remains, or the fact is, that you are enjoying being the guest of honor at your own pity party. You'd rather stay stagnated than anything else. You throw up your hands and you're like, what in the world are you doing, Lord, in my life, in the life of the faith all around the globe? What in the world are you doing, Lord? And even when God gives you the answer, you don't want to see it. Which is why God has to respond to Elijah's stagnation with this remarkable correction in verse 18. Skip down to verse 18 and look at what it says. 
God is giving a little speech to Elijah. Yet I reserve, uh, Elijah, you think you're the only one left. Twice you've told me, there's no one left. I'm the only good person. Look at my virtue, Lord. I'm the only one this good. Twice he said that, verse 18. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed. You think you're the only one left, Elijah? Queen Jezebel may not like you or believe like you anymore, but you are not the only one left. I have reserved 7,000. Do you know why the, where, where the, what the name, the number 7,000 means? Seven, as you may or may not know, biblically, that's the number of perfection, the number of completion. And the ancient people used the number thousand like we use million, meaning like more than you can conceive of and more than you can count. And so what God is telling Elijah is I have the perfect number of people who still have not bowed to the bell. I have the perfect number. It is vast in its completion. It is complete in its vastness. I have the perfect number of people. You only think you're alone, Elijah, because you hadn't opened your eyes to look. And notice, notice how he describes in verse 18 again, notice how he describes those 7,000 people. They have not bowed to Baal and their mouths have not kissed Baal. Meaning in a world where everyone, where all the cool people, all the social media influencers, all the media outlets, all the cool people are bowing to Baal and kissing the idol. These people, these 7,000, this perfect number of people have the strength to stand out and strangely not bow down, oddly not kiss that idol. They, they are strange because they won't do it. They're out of, out of step with everybody who is around them. And in their out of stepness, they are deeply in touch with God. And so when you realize, oh, Elijah, not alone, but the 7,000 weirdos around him just like him, here's what we learned today. Here's what I want you to know. It's true in your life. It's true in the life of faith. The stranger you are, are, the stronger you'll be. The, the, the more odd you are in our world, where everyone's bowing to modern bales, the stronger you'll be. The less you try to fit in, the, the less you, you value being one of the cool kids, the more you will actually stand out. The stranger you are, the stronger you'll be. Because Elijah... And, and those prophets that the Lord had, had reserved for himself, there's, they don't bow to Baal. They don't kiss Baal. That's strange. There's 7,000 of them. There's the perfect number. They, they're strong. God was looking, is looking for people strong enough to stand out. The stranger you are, the stronger you'll be. Do you know what this has to do with with what we were talking about earlier in this talk about sort of the decline of faith in the U.S., that 70% to 47%. Well, and even the name of this message, As the World Turns, it's so interesting what has happened. You may not know this, but there has been this dramatic shift in the center of gravity 
for people who name the name Jesus on this globe? Like, did you know that, that as of the, today, out, out of the two billion or so people who are Christians today, 60% of them live in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. All regions of the world where naming the name of Jesus is not a guarantee of success, it is an obstacle to success. In some of those regions of the world, those are parts of the world where naming the name of Jesus will not get you a job promotion, it will get you persecution, and it could often get you killed. Or did you know that if trends continue, that by the year 2050, there'll be 3 billion Christians on planet Earth, and 75% of them will live in what we call the global south in Asia and in Africa and in Latin America. And so for all of us, if we throw our hands up in the air, what are you doing, Lord? So few, fewer people in the United States are calling church home or calling Jesus Lord. God says, open your eyes. I am still on the throne and I am still doing my work. It's just that the center of gravity has shifted, and it's so summarized in this wonderful headline that I saw online a, a, a couple of months ago. We're gonna throw it up on the screen. We're not gonna throw it up. We're gonna throw it up on the screen. Church of England strength now centered in Kenya. Like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Well, see, a couple hundred years ago, the Church of England, what you may know of as the Episcopal Church or the Anglican Church, they sent missionaries, and yes, colonizers, a lot of mixed motives, but the missionaries were among them to send the faith to Kenya. And now a couple of hundred years later, that faith has taken. And the church in Great Britain has dramatically declined. So the center of the church of England is in Kenya, which is really cool. The stranger you are, the stronger you'll be. Again, you, you may not know this, but, but Western Europe over the last couple of hundred years, a couple hundred years ago, the Christian faith was very much a European phenomenon. The, the, the faith was centered in Western Europe. Well, over the last couple of hundred years, again, you may or may not know this, really accelerated since World War II. If you go to Western Europe today, and some of you have been there, very few vibrant churches and very few active Christians. In fact, the, what they do with a lot of church buildings there is they convert them into museums or they convert them into restaurants or coffee shops or breweries or mosques. And yet the center of gravity has now shifted where, where there was vibrancy in Europe. It's now nearer the equator. God is still very much on his throne. The spirit is still very much at work. And one of the greatest statistics that I saw recently is that in Denmark, immigrants from Africa, Asia, Latin America, you're like, oh, you were listening. That's where all those Christians are these days. Immigrants from Africa, Asia, and Latin America, they have started 150 new churches in Denmark. For the Danes, the great Danes, they sent missionaries out a couple of hundred years ago, and now the mission has come back home. The stranger you are, the stronger you will be. And some of you right now are like, Talbot, thank you for that geographic lesson in world Christianity. Fascinating wasn't it? 
but what in the world does that have to do with us? Why are you giving us this lesson? Don't you know? Can't you tell that we're not going to be Western Europe in this church? We're not going to be the kind of place who turns faith into a museum or worse, into a mausoleum. We instead, as a body, as a community, we are going to delight in the strange message of the gospel. We're going to get to, we don't have to, we get to derive our identity from the oddity of, we get to be a church full of oddballs. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a weirdo. We, we're going to love that. And, and you know, we, we are so blessed. Some of you may know this, others of you may not. Right now, as we're in here, and this message is in English, our good shepherd Espanol is in the living room to my right, and every land in Latin America is represented as the same message gets preached in their heart language of Spanish over there. And on August the 6th, two weeks from today, Sunday night, we're going to have a covered dish at this church, but it's a covered dish like none you've ever seen before unless you went last year. We're going to have our second annual Feast of the Nations, where people bring dishes from the lands that they were born, and we are able to celebrate cuisine from all over the globe and celebrate the ways that God has brought the nations to Good Shepherd Church And if you were, amen is right. And if you were born in the USA and you're like, well, can I come? Can I bring food? Is America a country? Yes, it's a nation. So bring your macaroni and cheese and bring your fried chicken. (laughs) And you're going to have that with food from Sri Lanka and food from Cambodia and food from India and food from Ghana and Sierra Leone and all over the world. And we will experience together the stranger you are stronger you'll be. Because if have you thought about have, if you're a Christian, have you thought about just how strange you are? How out of step with the world that surrounds you you are? You are so messed up you need a Messiah. And so loved you got one. Your deepest identity is that you are bought by blood. In a world full of Bible scoffers, you're a Bible lifter. In a world full of confusion, you believe that God created gender too, and it's good and it's beautiful. If you're in a conflict with someone, you're likely the problem. Earth will throw at you no pain that heaven cannot heal. You're saved not by your goodness, but by his greatness. funny. In the church in China, which grows explosively in spite of, maybe because of persecution, one of the church members 
wrote this. We're going to put it up on the screen. In America, preachers think they have to become famous to have a big impact. In China, because of persecution, the most influential leaders have to be the most hidden. That's it. The stranger you are, the stronger you'll be. Let's pray. God, thank you for the oddity of the gospel, but thank you for its beauty nonetheless. Fill us with the great, great joy of being bought with the blood and filled with the Spirit and sealed by your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.